Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. My guest for this episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast is Martin Bailey. Martin is a photographer, an educator, a traveler, a book author, a prolific blogger, and uh, he's known for having had a long-running podcast. He's been podcasting about photography for about 11 years. So it was a great pleasure and honor for me to be able to interview him. And we discussed uh, his podcast, of course, and why it is such a great tool to to reach an audience, to grow your audience. But we also discussed about travel and uh, about his upcoming tours to northern Japan and Namibia. I would love to go to one of those places with Martin. I'm sure it would be a blast. So maybe next year, trip to Namibia. I'm sure it would be fun. So... If you want to know more about those places, I encourage you to listen to this interview and you can find uh, everything about it, all the links uh, at ttim.photo slash 32. So now let's enjoy my interview with Martin Bailey. Who doesn't know Martin Bailey, who has been (laughs) podcasting for, what's that, Martin, more than 10 years? Yeah, it's uh, just coming up to 11 years now. So the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast is at, at, is at episode 500 and something. And uh, this one will be 31. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very young compared to yours. So congratulations on, on reaching that goal. And, and welcome. Not at all. Welcome. Oh, thank thanks you. For, uh, thanks for uh, being with us today. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure and honor for me to, to have you as a guest. Oh, it's a pleasure for me too. I uh, and I congratulations on getting your podcast started. I know it's a big undertaking, and it takes a lot to do these things. So, you know, thirty-one. It's probably more than a lot of people who have started podcasts because you, you know you see the first five come out in the first few weeks, and then yeah. another one a few weeks later, and then one more a year later, and before you know it, they've got like seven or eight podcasts in the feed, and and it's just you know they call, they call it pod fade. I think. Yeah, it's. Um you need to really keep it uh, keep it going and it's sometimes it's hard and uh, you need to find uh, at least with my format with uh, when i do interviews i need to find the guests and uh, arrange the the time with them sometimes like you you are based in japan so uh, different time zones sometimes it's a uh, 10 or 12 hours difference and mm. arranging a time is not easy Nah. Uh, yeah, and this is a podcast about travel, so people will often be traveling. <laughs> so it's <laughs> yeah. all more complicated than I'm doing it all on my own. But it's um, it's fun, and I I regret not starting earlier. I regret not starting a few years ago. And uh, it looks like you have uh, you have that advantage. Uh, but maybe you you want to to tell us a bit more about your podcast. I mean, what's um, why do you keep going week after week doing this uh, in this work? What what does it what does it give you? You know, I, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I I continue to do it. Um, I I started the podcast so that I could just initially to reach more people with my work, and that that was the main the main reason I got started. But I 
I quickly realized that building an audience was going to help me to make a business. And so now um, part of it is because uh, it's, it's marketing for me. It's, I, I'm able to help people with their own photography, but at the same time, it's a marketing vehicle for me. But I, I don't like to just, you know, con- continuously market the people, you know, market things to people. So I, I'll drop a, a mention of a tour in here and there, or maybe a, a, a product. I don't take many sponsors. I turn down a lot of sponsorship um, because I wouldn't use the service or the product. Um, but it's so for me, it, it, that's one of the main things. But the other thing is that my podcast actually helped me to become a better photographer. I when I first started, I was you know I mean I still don't think I'm I'm a be- the best photographer in the world by a long shot, but I I feel as though in the early days I had enough to offer people to start to build the audience, but I wasn't the best. I wasn't a great photographer, and I um, what happened was I found that as I was working through each podcast, you know I call it the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, but it's really talking about what I do in my photography to help other people with theirs. And so I would go through and start to think logically about how I did shot a certain scene or a certain subject. And thinking through it logically made me realize that I was making mistakes. And, and that then led me to, in the field, I started to correct my mistakes while I was actually out shooting. I, w- I would be going through a podcast. I'd be sort of mentally creating a podcast in my mind as I was shooting. And it turned into like a mental checklist. And the mental checklist, then I would get to a certain point and I'd say, okay, the next thing in the podcast I'll say is this. And then I'd sort of find myself reverse engineering that and saying, well, wait, if you do that, that's not the logical next step. You should be doing this instead. And so I found that the just talking about my photography and, and putting it down in words each week really helped me to catch issues as or before I made them and then just turned me into a better photographer as well. And I think that that's one of the reasons that I continue to do it as well because we, all, we never stop learning how to be good photographers and you know, new techniques and new things. And having a reason to investigate something or to to look into something new each week is is really a really good driving force as well. Yeah, you make you raise some good 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 points here. I mean, the the, the marketing aspect is important, but uh, as you said, it's marketing doesn't mean constantly pushing products and tours and, uh, right. and selling print, trying to sell prints to people. It means <clears throat> what is I think what is typically referred to as content marketing. So you yeah. produce great content that makes people follow you, and then sometimes, once in a while, you you you, you have an offer to to give, and uh, and you mention that you have yeah. some product or tour, and it makes uh, people still want to follow you because they they don't feel like they're being uh, pushed commercials all the time. And, uh, mm. Yeah, and you you know the the other thing is is that. Um, if you do something consistently and you end up with lots of posts on things that people link to and, and start to become an authority in, in any field, then that helps you with your search engine optimization as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so you get ranked higher in Google for, you know, say my tours get ranked higher in Google because my website where I have my tours as well as my podcast gets a lot of traffic and it, it's linked back to by a lot of people. So, it's, I think that that's a big thing as well. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's it's a bit like blogging, uh, in that uh, at least the kind of blogging where people actually strive to to create learning resources, uh, things that are um, interesting and have uh, that have value beyond the simple diary of oh, I've been to this place and I've uh, eaten this food and it was mm. great and I took some photos, but actually uh, doing reviews and uh, tutorials and so on. It's um, the, the difference is that. Keeping up a, a blog with uh, interesting content takes a lot of work, and keeping mm. up a bo- podcast, I found, with interesting content takes even more work. <laughs> mm. I was uh, yeah. yeah amazed by how much work it takes to to produce the the audio file, to clean it up, and uh, and yeah. save it. It's uh, you, you, I think you've got some automation in that on that front, probably. No, you know, I I don't really have any automation. I I just have a, a very streamlined workflow. Um, f- you know, th- the thing for me though is that I actually I I release a blog uh, with with the full manuscript for the majority of my podcasts. So someone can go to the blog and read it, or they can li- just listen to it and they get the same content. So it's it's actually a double whammy, really, yeah. and the reason for that is because I I write out my script before I record, and so that's the biggest thing for me. I because I've got uh, literally twenty to thirty minutes worth of of text to write before I can even sit down to record. Generally, what I do is I'll start on a Monday morning, and I'll I'll have an idea of a topic. And then I'll just sit down and start to write the blog post. And then by the afternoon, a few hours later, maybe half a day later, I'll hopefully get the blog post finished with all of the photographs embedded. And then I'll sit down to record. And the recording from start to finish and actually getting something on the web ready to press the publish button takes me about an hour. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's relatively streamlined. And that includes embedding photographs as well. But it's that quick because I've already put the time in to put to build a manuscript that I just have to read out at that point. Do you, do you ever find it difficult after five hundred and more episodes to find a topic to talk about? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's difficult in some ways, but the the thing is, is I I've decided you know that I that I'm going to do it every week, and I think it's just having the discipline to to do that. Um, I've I've always got a I don't know twenty or thirty rough drafts of just ideas that I can pull from if I've got nothing else to talk about. But I you know being because photography and the photography related work that I do is is all I do. I all, all I have to do really is think about what I'm doing right mm-hmm. now and then talk about that. And so. Like, um, for example, this week, I'm a day late because I've actually recorded two podcasts together this week. But I, one of my hobbies is making music. And so I was watching a video about, um, but just it was four musicians or four music producers. And they were having this conversation about creative block. And as I watched it, I thought, you know what? They, you could just replace musician with photographer instrument with camera and you'd have four photographers sitting around a table the their their discussion about creativity was relevant to photography as much as music and probably any other creative pursuit 
So I'm just watching this because it's a hobby. I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, okay, I've got nothing to do this evening, so I'll sit and watch this this conversation. The next thing, I've got um, two 25-minute podcasts based on this conversation. And so it's just, you know, just living life and being in photography and, you know, the things that I do feeds the process. So it's, it's sometimes difficult, but if you set the time aside each week to do it and commit to do it, it's just it becomes semi-automatic in a way. Yeah, yeah. And do you still do it all on your own, or you have a team? I, yeah, I do. No, I'm. I uh, I have me and me to do <laughs> all of this. Um, I I wear pretty much all the hats. My my wife is is a a part time employee of my company, but the majority of things that happen around here get done by me so you know i would love to hire an assistant and have someone that that works with me full time but i'm not quite there yet you know i'm i'm i need really to to build a few more revenue streams before i can commit yeah. to you know because taking on a full time employee is a big commitment and you know i mean i've considered part time um remote and all sorts of things but you know it it really it really doesn't appeal to me, as, especially with regards to the podcast, because I've got the, I think it would take me more time to release the podcast if I had to hand off to someone else. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like I say, right now, I get up on a Monday morning, I can have zero words written, and by five, six o'clock, I've got a, a 20 to 30 minute podcast uh, in the feed and, and ready for people to listen to. So if I had to wait for someone to edit it and various things, it would take longer. So, you know, I think especially because I've been doing this for so long, it's, it's just so easy for me to just get it, do it from start to finish all by myself. Yeah, at least in my case, I have the advantage that my guests do all of the talking. <laughs> Most of the talking, I just have to think about some good questions. And uh, that saves me a bit of time. I yeah. can imagine I mean, thinking of, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that is a, it's a job in itself, though. You know, it's not easy to do what you do. So, you know, it's still, it's still one of those things that you've got to commit to do and you've got to be disciplined and put the time in and the work in to complete each week. Yeah, I'm still learning. And uh, as I said, I regret not starting earlier. And mm-hmm. uh, I think you, you will agree that it's a great thing to do. And it's something that I would recommend Everyone who has, I don't mean every photographer or every artist, but everyone who has uh, feels like they they have something to share today yeah. and consider podcasting as a, an alternative or a additional stream of uh, consciousness to, to put out uh, their content uh, in addition to blogs and websites yeah. and so on. It's... Uh, it's yeah. a great, it's great, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, this podcast, this interview is about travel photography. So podcast is something that we do while sitting in our office studio at the computer. So there's, much, there's not much travel involved. Mm-hmm. But really, I would like to, to talk about travel, about some of the destinations that you you are going to visit or that you have visited recently. I was looking mm. at your uh, uh, your website and you have planned trips to places like uh, uh, Namibia and uh, northern Japan, uh, yeah. Greenland too. Uh, yeah. Maybe we, yeah. can, we can start with, with one of those, like I don't know, Namibia if you'd like. 
because sure. it's a place that has been on my on my radar. I've been wanting to to visit it for a long time. Maybe one day mm. I will. And it's uh, it's a place that it's uh, I think in uh, recent years become uh, got more on the map of many landscape wildlife photographers. Uh, uh, it keeps appearing more and more. So what's so great about Namibia? Um, how do you get there? How is your tour organized? What are the highlights? Can you tell us a bit more about it? Sure. So one of the, the great things about Namibia is, and, and there are lots of them, I'll try and remember as many as possible, but um, the, the, the first one for me is that it's a very safe African, continent, uh, African country. Um, it's a very young country. They, I think it was 1991 when they, they um, were went uh, independent um but they there's a, a the climate is unbelievably uh, easy to get along with it's very um hot in the summer of course during the day but usually the the winter uh, sorry the evenings and the mornings are very very cool um i mean it's basically a desert you know how deserts can get very cool in the morning uh, overnight um but i generally go in the between spring and fall, so it's like uh, because it's Southern Hemisphere. My next trip is is in June 2017, and at that time of year, it's beautiful weather. You get these big clear skies, and the temperatures are only about 25, 28 degrees at the warmest in the day, um, and often in the mornings it's very it's it's cool. You need a fleece or a, or a little bit of a jacket to keep warm. And it just makes it so much more comfortable to photograph in than some of the hotter African countries. Um, but the the thing, like I said, it's it's basically in various states of a desert. You've got incredible landscape, and I mean, I I personally, I just mentioned these beautiful clear skies. In my landscape photography, I normally don't like a clear sky. I went through my images a few years ago. And I think I have like 5% of all of my images that contain blue sky in them. And they usually have an eagle flying in the sky. Um, I, I just don't photograph landscapes with blue skies. But in Namibia, with the blue skies against the, the red sand dunes, and the, just even if you don't include the sky, just the dunes with the trees, like in Deadflay, for example, um, you, there's, just, there's something that happens every morning where you have a big sand dune behind you, and so that's shading the, the uh, valley that you're in, Dead Flay. Um, it's shading that from the sun. But then as the sun comes up, it starts to illuminate the sand dune on the other side of the, the, this clay basin that you're in. And they have these like sort of petrified uh, camel, camel thorn trees. And as the sun comes above the, um, the sand dune behind you, it starts to light up the, the sand dune in the distance and that goes bright red, but the clay basin and the, uh, the camel thorn trees are still in total shadow. They're in shade. And so there's this huge contrast. And it looks like, I mean, people don't generally, when I show these photos to people, they think that it's, it's a Photoshop thing or it's, they, some people just think it's computer generated. I was um, the, the first photograph I saw of that flay, a few years ago, I don't know if it was by Franz Lanting, maybe. 
to me, it looked uh, like the painting. I said, yeah. this could not be a photo. This must be a painting. <laughs> exactly. Totally unreal. Yeah. So, so that's the sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's dramatic. I, I love the, the drama and the, and the people are incredible. Um, there, there's a lot of different, um, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, the, the different subcultures, that's, that's the wrong word. Um, the, you know, like, I suppose tribe is what it is. There, there's um, a whole bunch of different types of people in uh, Namibia. And one of the, the ones that people photograph the most is the Himba people. And these are a nomadic people that they have a corral and a, a place where they will make their, their mainstay. But the, a lot of the time the men will go out and they'll be taking goats or cattle and herding them around the country looking for water mainly. Um, but then the, a lot of the time the women and the children will stay around this corral and they're they're just beautiful people you know they and that we we visit there on the tours that i do there um you know the the first few tours i've done with a good friend of mine um his name's jeremy woodhouse and he's given me permission to go back and take another group of on my own next year because he doesn't want to go back next year so i'm i'm actually going back for my third visit in june next year um but when we go we we spend a, and we go for a number of visits to Himba people settlement, and uh, we'll we'll do things like we'll we'll go inside their um, they have these little uh, clay huts that they, they have a small opening that you have to get into, uh, you know you go in through and the light that comes in there because it's generally very bright outside there's a lot of light bouncing around, but the only light inside these huts is coming from a very small doorway that's maybe a meter or so tall and maybe 50 centimeters, 60 centimeters wide. And so you've got a very um, soft and a, a relatively small light source. And you go in there and you've got these dark-skinned member people in a very dark environment. And the photographs are just so dramatic. It's beautiful. Um, and and they, they really are just a very, very wonderful people to, to meet and to to spend time with and it's always about the light right? oh absolutely you, you mentioned that the light in that way and a certain time of the day and uh, the light coming into the huts through the, that door it's uh, it's, yeah. it's fundamental there and uh, you, you get great light in a, in a place like Namibia I guess very, yeah. it can be very bright but uh, can be used to to great effect that's exactly that's it you know that i mean even midday light if you've got something that's going to look striking and dramatic in that light then you can go with it um you know i i rarely go to places where you can't shoot from dawn till dusk you know all of the tours that i do um we we shoot all day and so it's i gen generally that's how i like to do it and then there's the wildlife yeah. yes of course there's um so Namibia has um, a number of national parks. It's uh, it's actually the I, I think what they do is uh, I've got a note of the, about this on my tour page. Um, it says while most countries have declining numbers of endangered species, Namibia's Namibia's actually got increasing populations even outside of the national parks. 
and they, you know, they they've got one of the most successful community-based conservative conservation tourism projects in the world, and so you know they they really are putting a lot back into into nature, and they they they're doing it right. I think that's one of the the good things about Namibia, um, and that's one of the reasons it's becoming so popular, as you said. But yeah, I mean, across the country, you can be riding along, and you'll see. Um, all sorts. I mean, last year when I was there, we um, we came across a. We were in the Huanib River basin or river bed, and we we came across a, a herd of desert lions that had just taken down a young giraffe, and we went back to that place over three days, and it was a, it was a wonderful experience. We you know we there are springbok, there's um, oryx. Obviously, we you've got ostriches. There's all sorts of, of a whole variety. And, of course, the elephants and um, giraffes just everywhere. Um, it's, it's not a, a wildlife destination as such, but the next year when I go, we're actually spending the last part of the, the – a good part of the last week in um, the um, – I've forgotten. <laughs> I've drawn – Etosha National Park. Yeah, Etosha National Park. So so we're going into Etosha for the last, I think it's five or six days. And um, and that's going to be amazing because, you know, at that time of the year as well, the rains have have gone a few months earlier and it's starting to dry up a little bit. So you know where the animals are going to be. They have to come to the water holes to to get water. So it's uh, the the, the next tour that I'm doing there is going to be landscape it's going to be culture and wildlife so um, and it's a long tour it's like 17 days so yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, uh, it's great and uh, you probably I mean a place like Etosha the way I think of it is that the, the wildlife is probably spread over greater distances than it is in places like uh, the Serengeti but then you don't have the, to bump into other land rovers with photographers like during the migration there you have uh, tens of land rovers bumper right. to bumper trying to get right. a shot <laughs> yeah it's probably I mean, a bit more uh, it's it's much yeah. better i mean in many ways it's much better than that i think the opportunities are different um but it's for, for sure you we, we can go out and and not see another group of photographers for the whole day um you know sometimes in the very popular areas you'll you'll bump into other people but it's you're never sort of on each other's backs trying to you know trying to get the best position for the same subject it just doesn't happen yeah yeah that's uh, that's a great thing about it i need to go to namibia mm. before it's too late <laughs> yeah <laughs> it yeah. gets overrun by too many photographers as as many other places yeah yeah uh, another place i would really love to go um, yeah of course there's there's too many of them uh, is uh, <laughs> okaido northern japan which is I think it's your traditional destination for tours is the, probably the one you're more familiar with. Is yeah, I, you know, I, I have, um, I've been doing the Hokkaido trips now since 2008. So that's what, nine, nine years uh, in a row. Um, and it's, it's just, for me, it, it, it is, it's almost like the cornerstone of my business, um, it's what got me started. It's, it's what made me realize that I could build a business from the podcast and, and extend out and start to do all the work. Um, but yeah, go every year. Uh, in fact, this now I, I run a, a landscape only tour in January, uh, early January. 
And then from the end of January and from the middle of February, I run two wildlife tours there now. So uh, pretty much all of January and February, I'm, I'm in Hokkaido. Um, but we also do, we do three days at the beginning of each of the wildlife tours with the snow monkeys. And they're about uh, four hours south, uh, northwest of Tokyo. So we go there first and then go up to the island of, of Hokkaido. Yeah, for the geographically challenged, we'll just point out that Hokkaido, and maybe I'm mistaken here, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the northernmost island of Japan. It is. Yeah. It's, so if you look at Japan, it's like a big banana. Um, and then at the top of that, there's a diamond-shaped island. So that, that island is, is Hokkaido. Uh, you got great winter landscape, and it's also, I hear, a volcanic island. So I got hot, um, hot springs, uh, those kind of things. Yeah, the whole of Japan is like, it's just, it's riddled with hot springs. Um, you, you really can't go very far in Japan without mm-hmm. um, either, either driving past a volcano or a, a hot spring that's, uh, that's being, heat, you know, geothermally heated water. So you have uh, landscape and wildlife and, uh, and snow monkeys and everything. So people can take their pick and, uh, and yeah. come and go well, on a trip there. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, what we do is uh, the wildlife trip is uh, the, the, they're the, the oldest and the most popular ones, um, and we we visit the red crowned cranes, we visit the sea eagles, uh, the hooper swans, and we spend two days in each of those locations. At the sea eagles, we spend three days, and we actually go out on a boat in the morning at dawn or just before dawn, and photograph the the birds as. You know, if, if we're lucky, we get sea ice. Um, you know, it's probably global warming and various things, but the sea ice doesn't come as regular as it, as it used mm-hmm. to do. But when it doesn't come, we throw fish out into the sea. And the eagles, they, you know, they come to this area basically because they know that they're going to be fed and because it's, um, it, it's good shelter for them on the, the, the non-windy side of the Shiritoko Peninsula. Um, so they, they winter there. But they've, they've become accustomed to, to, they know that they're going to get fed fish by, by boats that go out to, to photograph them. And so even if there's no ice, we, we go out and throw a few fish in the water. And before you know it, there's a hundred Stella's sea eagles and white-tailed eagles flying around the boat. And they swoop down and take the fish out of the water or off the ice. And it's an amazing, it really is an amazing photographic experience. But it's not uh, typical Arctic wildlife. I mean, not polar bears and seals. And no, and the thing is, is um, Hokkaido is actually, if you look at it on a map, it's actually further, it's about as, as south as London. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get, you know, whereas the, the Gulf Stream goes around the Atlantic, or is it the Gulf Stream, and, and warms things up. Um, and even Iceland, Iceland's way further north. But it's much more temperate because of, of the Gulf Stream. But the, on the other side of the Eurasian continent, we, we get a, Hokkaido gets all of the cold weather that comes down from Siberia. So despite it being relatively far south, it's, it's very cold and very snowy through the winter. Um, so it, it's made it a really unique place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the red crowned cranes are absolutely beautiful. Um, but the against this white backdrop you can get some of the most amazing photographs and i uh, you know I'm, i the the person that i work with on my tours um asked me last year 
if I still enjoy going because I've been so many times now. And I said, if I didn't enjoy going, there wouldn't be a tour anymore. You know, I, I wouldn't do it. If the magic goes for me, there's no way I can take people there and, and hope that and expect those people to feel the magic. You know, so I go there still because I absolutely love every location and I love every minute of each day that we spend there. And so, you know, I, I, and I think that that comes across with the, pe- with the participants that, that I take up there. Um, you know, we, we just have a great time and come back with amazing photographs. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the, the novelty of the place might wear off if you've been there a few times. But if you really love the place every every time you go, it's uh, it's new discoveries. And uh, if you just love being there and, you know, mm. the place like the back of your hand, your guests will uh, will see it, will, will know it. And they will have a great time, too, I'm sure. Absolutely. That's what happens. So we still have a few minutes. Maybe we can. Uh, you can mention uh, another destination that you are going to soon. That is Greenland, I think, which yeah. is another not not so popular right now. It's starting maybe to get a bit more popular now that everybody has been to Iceland. So people still mm. try to move a bit more into the wilderness and try to find new places to to, to see and photograph. So mm. uh, how yeah. is Greenland? Yeah, go ahead. You know, so so for me, this year's Greenland trip is actually going to be my first visit. And I, I team up with a German guy named Tim Fulmer, who is, he used to do mainly um, Iceland work. He's all over the globe now. Um, but he lived in Iceland and worked there predominantly for, I think, well over 10 years, about 15 years. And he was like one of the go-to guides. Uh, he's a great photographer as well, but he's like one of the go-to guides for Iceland. And he started to take groups to Greenland as well. And I, I planned the trip. But to be honest, I mean, I've got a num- quite a few people that have been interested in going. But maybe partly because I haven't been myself as well, we, we haven't sold many seats. So this year's first tour is really going to be, I'm going anyway. I'm, I'm, just, I'm basically paying for myself rather than making some money on the tour. I'm I'm paying the same as, as the, the people that we're taking, the few people that we're taking. And um, so I'm going now as a more like a reconnaissance trip or a scouting trip. So for me, it's going to be my first visit. And then I'll, I'll probably plan future trips and see if we can sell them, um, maybe sell them better if I've got some of my own photography to, to help market it as well. Um, but yeah, it's, for me, it's going to be the, one of these rare trips where I'm going to be one of almost like one of the participants I'll still be helping the people you know the few people that we are taking uh, the, the workshop element won't go away but it's going to be very fresh for me because it's my first visit and I'm, I'm really looking forward to spending a couple of weeks out there and again it's about mostly about landscape or is there a wildlife in Greenland too like there's a little bit of wildlife that we'll be we'll be photographing, but it's more about landscape and the the glaciers and the icebergs and culture as well. We we've got a few cultural events that we'll be doing while we're there. Get the glaciers while they're still there. This is it, you know. I mean, it's it's like I I, I did three trips to Antarctica back to back in 2012, I think it was, and um, you know. It, there, it's just a shame that a lot of that is going to be going away if we don't start to, to curb all of our emissions. You know, the, mm-hmm. we're, we're basically melting our planet and there are just too many people that 
consider that to be okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's a bit sad, but what can we do in our... Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot we can do personally, but it takes a mm. lot of people to, to do the same, I think. Absolutely. All right. So uh, thanks for, uh, for this uh, conversation today. Uh, we explore, virtually explored in your words, three great <laughs> locations so yeah. that are not very well known, not, uh, not as common as many others. So I think this is, uh, this is interesting. And if people want to come on a tour with you, where they can find more information. Yeah, they, you know, if you go to my website, there's a tours and workshops link at the top of every page. Um, but you can go straight to the list of available workshops with the short link mbp.ac slash workshops. Um, the, you know, if, if it's okay to just plug this, I, yeah, sure. I, would, I would like to say that for the Namibia trip, we're actually trying to lock in on our numbers and within the next month. So if anyone's interested in joining me from Namibia, we've got, it's, a, it's two groups with five people in, in a, each car and we've got three spaces left. So if anyone's interested in joining us, then please uh, go over to mbp.ac slash Namibia and hopefully if you take a look within the next month um, and sign up, we'll, it'll still be available. Um, we might be able to extend it because we've, we've got good numbers so far. But at this point, the, the goal is to try to lock in on the numbers by the middle of July. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, so we will put a link in the show notes as well. And, uh, Thank you. Uh, so people can uh, can find more about it in case they're interested. Anything else you would like to, to add before we wrap this up? No, thank, but thank you very much for inviting me on. I've, I've enjoyed speaking with you for the last uh, half an hour or so. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the best of luck with, with uh, you know, keeping, sticking with it, you know, because I know it's a big job. We talked about it earlier. Um, but I, I think you've got what it takes to, to continue this. And, and uh, I hope it works out really okay. well for you. Yeah. Thank you very much for your kind words and your time. And uh, all the best for your trips. Till next thank time. Thank you very much. Uh, take care and goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.